It's getting harder and harder to be pure in this day and age. We are bombarded with images and messages that are, well, less than pure. I probably have six impure thoughts before I brush my teeth in the morning. And I know that what I think slips down into my heart and ultimately comes out in what I do. In the most subtle of ways. From what entertains me, to what I think about women, to how I spend my money, it's really about being divided. You can't think two opposing thoughts at one time. You can't say you believe two opposite ideas. You can't say you respect women but look at certain websites. You can't say you're unselfish while holding on to God's tithe. You can't say you love Christ but hate your brother. Being pure is being undivided, single-minded in your pursuit to figure out what's on God's mind. That seems a lot less complicated than saying one thing and doing something else. Well, greetings to all of you who are meeting here at Central Campus, and also those of you who are tuning in from one of our regionals, either in Airdrie, Bridgeland, or at the Northwest uh, Crowfoot area, and also those of you who are watching online here in the Calgary area and from different parts of the world. We do greet you uh, in the name of Jesus. You know, when I was a young teen, I had a huge desire to see God in person. I imagine being able to sit with him, to hear his voice, to look him in the eye, to share my heart with him, and to ask him the questions I always hope to ask him about my calling, about my future, and particularly whether there might be a girl somewhere on the planet that could love uh, a weird guy like me. And I was uh, really envious of the disciples uh, when I would read the scriptures who had the privilege of spending the better part of three years with Jesus and wished somehow uh, that I could uh, have even just a taste of what that must have been like. I recall many a time in my quiet time with God just challenging him to show himself real to me by appearing to me this way. A few years later, I can remember talking to a classmate and just sharing my um, belief in God with him. And uh, after doing so, he took a moment, and then he looked me in the eye, and he said, you know, Henry, if, if God were to appear in front of me and speak to me the way that you are right now, he says, I wouldn't have any problem at all believing in him. Later that evening, just before I went to sleep, I, I sort of vented my frustration with God on this matter. And I said to him, Lord, so many people would embrace you as their Lord and King if, if you would just let them see you physically. It wasn't until a number of years later that I was struck with the fact that God, in fact, did show up physically on this planet through His Son, Jesus Christ. He taught profound truth and wisdom. He performed jaw-dropping miracles and healings. And yet, while there were those who believed in him and 
there were those who followed him. Many more shouted, crucify him. And when that hit me, I thought, how is it possible that people could have seen Jesus, could have seen the incredible miracles he did, heard the profound wisdom he shared, and yet wanted him crucified? How could they not believe? And through his life, I realized that even if a person sees God, does not guarantee that they will embrace God, that they will know God, that they will love and serve God. The next beatitude that we're looking at here today in Matthew 5.8, Jesus taught that seeing God requires a certain kind of heart. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, let's break it down and be sure we're clear on how the word heart is used here. The word heart here, of course, is not referring to that physical organ that we call the heart in the middle of our chest cavity and sounds a little bit like... <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if you do hear that or feel that, rejoice and be glad because that means you're alive. <laughs> Jesus obviously had something different in mind here when he used the word heart. The heart is who you really are inside as a person, the real you that God sees. The person you are when no one else is looking. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart, the control center of your life, that includes your mind. It includes your emotions. It includes your affections and your will. In any given situation, it is our heart that determines what we do. In Matthew 15, verse 18, Jesus said, But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And he went on to say, For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. It is in this sense that the heart is the center of the spiritual life. If our attitudes and our actions are not like Christ then there is a problem with the state of our heart. Whether we forgive or not, whether we pass on gossip or not, whether we are generous or not, whether we extend mercy or not, all depend on the state of our heart and also reveal the condition of our heart. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, the word pure has two basic meanings in the original language. The first is to be clean. And the second is to be one thing. Let me unpack that a little. To be pure in heart is to be clean. To be clean means that there are no germs, there are no impurities, there is no sin. It means to be like Jesus himself who was without sin. 
who was pure and spotless. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Psalm 51. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. This psalm was written by King David after he messed up royally, not only committing adultery with Bathsheba, but then trying to cover it up um, by having her husband Uriah killed. For some time, David tried to cover it all up and, and live like it never happened, but the Bible says that David was miserable. He was unpleasant to be around, and his relationship with God was on, in the tank. He was losing sleep. He couldn't eat. His body was deteriorating from all the stress associated with the guilt that he was wrestling with and he couldn't shake free from. And then God was really merciful to him when he sent the prophet Nathan to him to confront him. And that is exactly what Nathan did. He went to David. He confronted him about his sin. And he also told David in no uncertain terms that his sin would have severe consequences on his life and would bring calamity upon his family. And it serves as a reminder that there, is all, there are always consequences that come with sin. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, it says that when David conf- I'm sorry, when Nathan confronted David. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, this is why I believe that the Bible talks about David being a man after God's own heart. It wasn't that David was any more special in any category than any of the rest of us. It's just that when a man is after God's own heart, he is the kind of person that when he realizes he has sinned, he humbles himself. And he owns up to what he's done. And he works his way back to God. He opens his life back up to God. He doesn't grow hard. David stopped pretending. He humbles himself rather than covering up his sin. He actually mourns over his sin and he begins this process of getting right with God again, which brings us to Psalm 51, in which David pours out his heart before God. His desire is to have a relationship with God restored again and to have a pure heart. In verse uh, 10, he writes this. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God. And toward that end, he asks for God's mercy, and then he asks God to cleanse his heart. Look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Down in verse 7, he adds, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I want you to notice that the actual cleansing process is done by God. David says, Cleanse me. He says, Wash me. In verse 10, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. You can't cleanse yourself. This is a work that only God can perform in you. 
Now, in the Old Testament era, people like David, they looked forward to the sacrifice of a lamb for forgiveness. In the New Testament era in which we live, we now look back on the final sacrifice that was made once for all by Jesus to be forgiven and to be cleansed from our sin. You see, when we humble ourselves or are poor in spirit and we mourn over our sin and then by faith ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the Bible says that in the eternal or the spiritual realm, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the fact that we live in two realities, the spiritual realm, the eternal realm, and the earthly, natural realm. The Bible talks about those two realms. And so the Bible says that in the eternal or the spiritual realm, our sin, our unrighteousness is placed on Jesus' account who died to make that possible, and Christ's perfect righteousness is placed on our account not only cleansing us, but making us righteous and pure in heart, in the sight of God. Because we are one with Christ through faith in Jesus, God no longer sees our impurity. Rather, he now sees Christ's purity. That is our position in Christ in the spiritual, eternal realm. However, in the earthly realm, we're still in the process of being made holy and pure. Hebrews 10, 14 actually speaks to both of these realms. Here's what it says. Because by one sacrifice, he, referring to Jesus, has made perfect. Look at those words has made perfect forever those, now he's describing who he has made perfect, those who are being made holy. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I want you to notice that verse actually talks about both realms in one verse. It talks about, first of all, us being perfect forever, being made perfect forever, which is how God sees us in Christ, in the eternal unseen realm. But it also talks about us being made holy, which is the process of being made pure or sanctified in our time here on earth. So even though in the eternal spiritual realm, God sees us as pure and holy because we are in Christ, he really wants us to realize that we are still in a process of becoming holy and he wants us to take our holiness and our purity seriously. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, and there are many other verses I could quote, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Now, God will empower us and give us the victory if we lean on him and trust him to do what we can't do, but also do what he calls us to do. And as we do, we will be blessed 
with true joy and freedom and peace, and our lives will be a living testimony, a witness to those who are far from God at how God can transform a life. King David knew that his heart needed to be purified. He knew that only God could actually cleanse him from all unrighteousness, and yet he also knew that that would only happen if he humbled himself became poor in spirit. It would only happen if he mourned over his sin and acknowledged it before God and sought after God's forgiveness and cleansing, which is, of course, what he did. And until Jesus comes, church, it is vital that we do the same. To be pure in heart means to be clean. To be forgiven, to be set free by God. Furthermore, to be pure in heart means to be one thing. The pure in heart are about one thing and only one thing. The Apostle Paul said, this one thing I do. Back in Psalm 51, look at verse 10. David said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word steadfast means to be firmly grounded, to be unwavering. And this comes from a heart that is single-minded. To be pure in heart is to be focused on one thing. To be about one pursuit and one pursuit only. And folks, that is the pursuit of God. And this pursuit isn't just an outward act the way the Pharisees love to display their religiosity, or whatever that word is. (laughs) Religiosity? Religiosity. There it is. Christ had an issue with them because their focus was just on always looking good on the outside and yet he saw the corruption and the darkness in their hearts. And he said, in my kingdom, the focus is on the heart. And so when we pursue God, It needs to come from the heart. It needs to be real. It needs to be genuine. To have a pure heart means not coming to God with divided loyalties. That's what James meant when he said, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, stop trying to serve me and multiple other counterfeit gods at the same time. Worship me only. You know, whenever I'm in conversation with someone, I try to give them my full attention. And nowhere is that harder to do than after one of the services when I'm out in the atrium and I am talking to someone while many others are walking by and just waving and, hi, good to see you, and so forth. But even so, even though I don't do it perfectly, my desire is to give the person I'm talking to 
my full attention because, you see, like many of you, over the years, I have been in conversation with more than one person who, while he is talking to you, is admiring himself in the mirror behind you. <laughs> and, and, and he is fixing his hair and he is adjusting his tie, talking to you while this is going on. And, and he's waving at people while he's talking to you, and he's looking at what she's wearing, and he is looking at the kind of car that he's getting into. All the while, we're trying to have this conversation. And when that happens, it's pretty clear to me that this person is just putting in time. He would rather be somewhere else. Well, if you've ever had that happen to you, then you now know how God feels when we come to him with a divided heart. When we come to him and see him as just one of our many passions and pursuits. The pure heart doesn't have a compartment for God, a compartment for career, another compartment for family, and another compartment for friends. No, God is at the center of all of those in the person who is pure in heart. When you have a pure heart, you don't just think about God and his agenda at mealtime. Thank you, Lord, for this food. You don't just think about God and his agenda during weekend services. You don't divide your life into the secular and the spiritual. It's all about the Lord. You can't, you're consciously aware of his presence all day. Listening for his whispers and his promptings. Inviting him to do your day with you. When you're pure in heart, you don't think in terms of God's money and your money. You don't think in terms of God's time and your time. No, it's all God's money. It's all God's time. Jesus says, blessed, unspeakable joy, freedom, satisfaction comes to those who are single-minded. Those who make up their mind to seek Jesus with all of their heart. Zorin Kierkegaard said it this way, purity of heart is to do one thing. You know, many people today, they complain about the complexity and the speed of their lives. They crave simplicity, but too often are unwilling to settle on the one thing that they're going to give their life to and go after that one thing with a laser focus. They, they, they want to, but they tend not to. It's not this one thing I do. It's these six things I do. Michael Phelps has won more Olympic medals than anyone else in modern history. His goal was to be an Olympic champ. And for years, his life consisted of three things. I heard him in an interview. and This is what he told me, told them. Sorry, I wasn't the interviewer. I just, 
just watching, just watching television. He said his life consisted of these three things, training, eating, and sleeping. And he did that for years. Now, his life was not a life of ease. He worked extremely hard, but his life was simple. Somewhat boring, I'd say, but it was simple. And he achieved his goal because he was focused on one thing. In Matthew 6, Jesus speaks at length about worry. And he says the answer to all of our fretting and to all of our harried living is found in seeking him first and his kingdom and trusting him with the rest. See, the reason so many people are strung out and the reason they're worn out these days is because they are devoting their lives not to one main thing, but to a myriad of things. They want to experience all that God has for them, but at the same time, they want to experience the good life here on earth, however they define that. And Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. Some of us try to serve five or six. He said, you can't even serve two. You have to make a choice. Joshua made a choice. Near the end of his life, he called the children of Israel together. And he said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul made a choice. He said, for me to live is Christ. Wow, what a purpose statement. You can't get it more clear or more simple than that. For me to live is Christ. So let me ask you, for you to live is what? Is it God and God alone? Is he at the center of everything? Or is it God and something else? Or is it just something else? Some temporary thing that really won't matter a hill of beans in the end. Jesus says that true joy and fulfillment comes not only, does not come to those who have divided passions, who worship at the altar of a myriad of counterfeit gods, but rather it comes to those who have only one passion in life, and that is to seek Him and His kingdom alone. I want to pause right here and have you listen to Melissa's story whose life was spinning out of control because her heart was divided. Watch this. So at my peak, I was a mechanical engineering student in my second year of university top five students, academic in every test, every, everything like that. I was on a full-ride scholarship, um, and then I was coaching basketball. I was also visiting a senior once a week. I was teaching computer courses to immigrants. I was a discipler within a ministry, Christian ministry on campus. I was also on the worship team with that ministry, playing guitar for them. In everything I did, I was so successful, and everyone wanted me back. I felt so good. 
being recognized by everyone. And I never like getting a public attention, so I like the feeling of knowing people were talking about me when I wasn't around. It gave me a sense of belonging. At that time in my life, I thought I was so devoted to God, but the reality was he wasn't, he wasn't my number one at all. It was all things for all the good things that were going according to what I wanted in life. In the midst of all of that, um, there was an incredible sense of loneliness and I felt so isolated. I was giving back to all these communities, but everyone saw the best side of, sides of me. No one saw, I felt the real me and all of me. When I was alone with myself, I always had to have music on because I couldn't stand the silence. And when I prayed, there's still music on because I didn't want to face the reality that I stopped loving him, that I loved all these other things over him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. had a moment where was that thought oh my god what have I done and it just became so real everything I've worked for as a child just fell apart all through elementary school I promised myself work hard and work hard in high school get a scholarship go to school make mom and dad proud I lost that all I mean the dream of a five-year-old fell apart I was like, who am I I lost all my sense of identity and there's this incredible remorse and pain and conviction like I had never felt. Like, what am I doing with my life? How did I get here? And how am I gonna get out of this? But I knew God was still there because I could still pray to him and I knew he was listening. I could feel that, that he was still listening to me. And even though I didn't love him, he was still speaking to me. I remember this point, I'm like, God, I don't love you. Why? And he starts speaking to me and telling me why. He's like, you pursued this and this and this and you behaved in these wrong ways. And he started telling me. So even in that midst when I was so destructive and lost everything, he hadn't forsaken me. So a couple months after my breaking point, I enrolled in Freedom Session Ministries. And that really connected me back to God. It took me through a journey of first admitting I am powerless. Then learning how to surrender to God. What does it actually look like? And the deepest thing that I learned there was inviting Jesus into my pain. To confess my sins. Because I lived a life trying to look so perfect. Trying to be so on top of everything. And this program I had to admit not only to God, but to other people in my brokenness. And that humbled me deeply. I'm not perfect and that's okay. And I can come to God in my brokenness and have him work through me. So after that program, um, it totally changed my understanding of church, community, and fellowship. I understood at a deeper level what it means to live in fellowship with one another, to confess your sins to one another, um, to pray for one another so that you may be lifted up. With that, I went back to Freedom Session to facilitate I've been a facilitator there for a couple of years now because um, I want to meet people in their brokenness because I was there. I'm still driven and I still love to strive for excellence. But now there's this massive underlying statement that defines everything I do. And it's this, in light of eternity. And I just, when I think of everything I do, that phrase is always there. In light of eternity, this job doesn't matter. 
in light of eternity, accomplishing or achieving it doesn't matter. In light of eternity, looking like the most awesome superstar there is doesn't matter. All of a sudden, my life became centered around Jesus Christ, and nothing else mattered. Now, God is my number one. I love him, and I do more than anything because I know he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Melissa, for sharing your story with us in such an honest and such a powerful way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So how is it that the pure in heart see God? Well, one way is the pure in heart will see God face to face in the, in the next life, in the life to come. Those who have put their faith in Jesus, as we've already talked about, who have had their hearts cleansed and transformed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, will see the Lord face to face one day in glory. And can you say amen to the anticipation of that? Amen. What a day of rejoicing that will be. But furthermore, the pure in heart will also see God now. Of course, we will not see his total being because the Bible teaches that in our mortal state here on earth, no one can see God and live. You'll remember in, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked to see God's glory, and, and God responded to him and said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And so in this life, we will not see God face to face. But you see, the more that our hearts are focused on God and absorbed with Him, the more that we, we remove distractions from our life and, and the pursuit of lesser things and focus more completely on Him, the more we will see Him in the everyday moments of life. When your life is all about God, you will see God everywhere. You will see his handiwork in creation, in the birth of a little child. You will hear his whispers when you are meditating on the scriptures. At times you will feel his presence in such a real and a powerful way during a time of personal worship or corporate worship. It will be almost like you could... Reach out and touch him. The last week of my sabbatical, I spent that week alone in Canmore. And one morning I was reading the Bible. And as I was reading the scriptures, there was a particular verse that just popped right off the pages in such a powerful way that it actually set me back in my chair. It felt like Jesus was in the room and he was saying those words audibly to me. It was so powerful. I sensed him saying that there was an idol in my life, an idol that I was oblivious to because I never thought that that could be an idol. And yet when I heard him say it, I immediately knew that he was right. 
I began to weep and I began to confess my sin to God. And for the next few moments, I had a conversation with him that was so real. It was like he was sitting in the couch in front of me. And if you had been there, you would have, you know, on the sidelines, you would have seen me talking to a couch. couch. And I I know that you would have been greatly concerned about my emotional and mental well-being at that moment in time. But I have to tell you, in my spirit, I heard his still small voice. And so I didn't actually see Jesus that day, but in a way, I did see Jesus. When I, when I see the power of Jesus set people free from demonic oppression, like I did a while ago in the life of a young woman, right here in the altar, I see God. When I see people physically healed and hurting marriages restored through the power and the love of Jesus, I see God. When I see addicted people, angry people, people in despair, radically transformed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, I see God. When I need wisdom and I cry out, to God for help, and then out of the blue, I received this amazing insight or this creative idea or thought that I never thought of, that I never read of before. I see God. When I see our grandchildren barely old enough to walk, pray for their loved ones, and worship the one who created them with hands lifted high, I see God. When I see someone enduring hardship and pain day after day, facing one setback after another and refusing to grow bitter about their circumstances but to continue loving God and celebrating His goodness in their life, I see God. A while ago I was talking with a young man who told me about his struggle with lust and pornography and his tendency to just give his life to lesser things, things that don't matter, to just waste time. He asked me to pray for him, and before I did, I I said to him, I said, suppose that you were the father of a college-age daughter, and she was coming home for Thanksgiving dinner, And you prepared a fabulous turkey dinner with all of the trimmings for her. How would you feel if instead of sitting down at the dinner table and enjoying the delicious food that you have prepared just for her, she went outside, back to the alley, to the dumpster, and began rummaging through the garbage, looking for dirty, rotten, scum-infested scraps of food and began to eat that instead. I said, wouldn't you be upset? Wouldn't you plead with her to come and to feast on the fresh, wholesome food that you have prepared for her? Then I said, you know, that's exactly how your heavenly father feels 
When you ignore his banquet table of great food, of incredible adventure that he has prepared for you, and instead you feast on the garbage of pornography or on the garbage of lesser things, things that will rot and rust and be destroyed one day. He turned to me and he said, I hear you talk often about the adventures that God has prepared for us. What do you mean by that? I decided I'd just give him an example of what I was talking about. A few years ago, I was in the emergency waiting room at Foothills Hospital. I was there with a family. They were waiting for um, their son to be flown in 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 an emergency situation. The room was full of people, as emergency rooms tend to be. And as I scanned the room, I noticed a young woman who seemed to be quite distraught. I went back to doing what I was doing. When I sensed the Lord say to me, I want you to go to her and I want you to tell her that I love her and that I care about her. And I want you to pray for her. And my first reaction, of course, was to reason with God. And try to help him to understand that I didn't know this woman and that it would be rather embarrassing if she very loudly and emotionally told me where to go and how to get there. (laughs) But God persisted. And I walked over to her. I sat down next to her. And then I said to her, hi. I said, "You, you don't know me, but I've just come over here because I sense God wants me to tell you something. He wants to tell you that he loves you. He cares about your situation. Tears welled up in her eyes and she began to weep profusely. And after some time, she kind of composed herself. She looked up at me and she said, I'm sorry for being so emotional, but I am really hurting right now. And it's kind of interesting that you would just tell me that right now because... A few moments before you came over here, I just asked God if he was really there and if he cared for me at all. She thanked me and I prayed for her. And as I got up and walked back to my seat, it would be an understatement to say that my faith in God grew just a little bit in that moment. I mean, I was so blown away by it all. I came that close to breaking out in a worship song right there in the emergency ward. But you see, church, that is an example of the banquet table that God has prepared for you and for me. He asks us to stop giving our lives to lesser things, to stop feeding on rotten junk food in the dumpster and to join him in this great banquet table filled with the finest spiritual food and the greatest adventures possible that have to do with real people, real souls, eternal souls who need Jesus. He wants to show us every day that he is as real as I'm standing here and you're sitting there. 
and that he is at work in the lives of people around us and he wants to use us in some small or significant way to introduce people to the love of Jesus. But it's going to require that we give our life to one thing. And that is God and God alone. It's going to require inviting God to be part of our day and to be consciously aware on a moment-by-moment basis that He is in us. And just like the ink in a pen flows through that pen, so He is living His life through us. Guiding us directing us, calling us to listen, to serve, to pray, to to, to care for someone, to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will. You will. You will. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want you to take a moment now and and just respond to whatever it is that God has been saying to you. If you long for a pure heart, then ask for it the way that David did. Ask him to cleanse you and to purify you. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if you've never asked him to invade your life and to live his life through you, if you've never asked him to cleanse you from the inside out. Do that right now. Others of you may need to ask him to change your heart. Ask him to give you a heart that wants only what God wants and always what God wants. Just take a moment right now. is open. If, if anyone feels you just want to pray and spend some time up here, you, you just come and do that. Just feel free to do it at any time. It's always open. stand with me. Our Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word, for your mercy, for your love and grace. We have heard a profound truth today, Lord, that shakes us to to our core once again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Lord, we look forward to the day that we will see you face to face in glory. Lord, we also want to see you now. Oh, Lord, we do. So we ask that you would cleanse us, that you would create in us a pure heart. We pray that you would create in us a a desire and a passion to do one thing, and that is to seek you and your kingdom with all of our heart. Thank you, Lord, for preparing such an amazing banquet table of great spiritual food and spiritual adventures to help us grow in our faith in you and our relationship with you. We just love you, Lord. What a joy it is to know you and to serve you. For we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.